Hello and welcome. You're streaming another stellar episode of Mac Watson Talks, voted best podcast for 2022 by the readers of Phoenix Magazine. On this episode, Christmas stories. We've got Christmas stories all the time. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. We've got stories from me, from Cricket, and from listeners. And the best story gets some cool swag. How about that? Also, Carrie Lake gets a lump of coal in her stocking, but she should have expected it. All this and more is coming up. This is episode 225, the Christmas episode. All right, this week we're not telling any news stories. We're just telling Christmas stories. That's right, because Christmas is right around the corner. And so everybody loves to hear a good Christmas story. We have Christmas stories from our listeners and Christmas stories from Mac and from myself. All right, so who do you want to begin with? Do you want to begin with listeners or do you want to begin with us? Uh, Why don't you go ahead? All right. I was about eight. And for some reason, I noticed that in the past couple of Christmases, Santa wasn't getting what I wanted. I would ask Santa. You were marking up the JCPenney's catalog or whatever? No, not at that point. Not at that point. I would write a letter to Santa, but I wouldn't wouldn't include anything in it. So this time, at at eight years old, I decided to take the Sears Wishbook catalog and I decided to mark it up. So I went through the Sears Wishbook catalog, and I marked, and I highlighted, and I drew circles around stuff that I wanted. And one of the things I really wanted was a Baltimore Colts helmet and shoulder pads. That's what I really wanted that year for Christmas. Because the, the Colts were still in Baltimore, where they should be, by the way. And you were a big football player? No. No. No, I wasn't a big football player, but I did want a Colts football helmet and shoulder pads to play in the uh, in the fall. So, I, I did what I thought I was supposed to do. I took the Sears Wishbook catalog. I marked everything up. I wrote my letter to Santa. I send the letter off, and I'm thinking, boy, did I do a great job. There's no way he can screw this up. Mm. Well, Christmas morning comes. My sister and I just rush downstairs. We hurriedly rush downstairs. Mom and dad are up. Dad turns on the train garden, turns on all the lights. It looks great. And I see over in the corner, right by the tree, is a box. A box the size of that you would think a shoulder pad and helmet would come in. And I'm like, that's got to be it. Santa Claus got my letter. This is going to be great. So I open up every single package, I open up every single gift that I got, and I waited. I waited until the last time, or the last one. So you're not a dessert first kind of person? No, no, I'm, I'm delayed gratification. So I wait until every other gift is open, and I go ahead and I rip open the packaging, and I plunge my hands down into the packing peanuts, and I take out what I feel is plastic, And I think, oh my God, this is it. This is my Baltimore Colts helmet with the shoulder pads. This is going to be great. And I hoist it over my head, and then I look up. And it's blue. Uh Uh-oh. The helmet is blue. The helmet is not white. With a blue horseshoe, it is blue. And it's got NY on the side. Giants. The New York Giants. The New York Giants helmet, and I'm I, I'm thoroughly disappointed. I'm in shock. I can't believe what has just happened. And so I turn to my mom, who's helping my sister open up one of her gifts, and I go, "But, but, I I sent Santa a letter. I told him what I wanted. I wanted to make sure that I got it right." 
And mom, who was smoking at that time in her life, took out her Carlton 100 out of her mouth and said to me as she looked me dead in the eye and said, Santa said it was on sale. (laughs) And I knew, I knew Santa would never get it right. Santa would always disappoint me. And every other Christmas since then. Is that when you knew the big big no? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's when I I didn't want I didn't want to say that, but that's when I kind of big that's when I kind of sort of knew that something else was afoot here. It wasn't Santa's fault. Put it to you that way. Right. Yeah. Wow. So that's my uh so that's my Santa Claus story. Do you have one? I don't have a Santa Claus story, but I have a Christmas story. Okay, go ahead. So, when I was a kid, my dad would hunt and he got a deer, an antelope and an elk every year. The deer and the antelope were earlier seasons. The elk, he would get the latest season because he didn't hunt on horseback, so he needed the snow to push them down out of the high country so he could hunt them because he hunted on foot. So he was typically hunting for elk right around Christmas time, like the week before Christmas time every year. That was the season. That was the elk season that he got, that he drew. And so at our house, traditionally, we would... In the afternoon, gather my older sisters were coming home from college or that my married sisters were there with with little kids. And we'd gather in the afternoon and there'd be like, you know, we'd call them a charcuterie board these days. But then we just called it, you know, snacks. (laughs) There were snacks, all kinds of snacks. And we played games and we just kind of hung out. And there was, you know, a meal. And then we'd open presents in the evening. And then we'd go to midnight mass. So now, now, about how old are you hmm, at this point? Eight, nine. Eight or nine? And you go to Midnight Mass when you're eight or nine? Yeah, I might have been a little bit older. No, nah, we might have been like 11, 12. Okay. Um, but, but by then, I had, you know, I must have been at least 12 because I know that I, had, that I had a niece. So I was actually probably 13 because she was born when I was 12. So maybe 12 or 13. So this particular, and and a lot of times when my dad went hunting, he'd go with my brother-in-laws. My brother-in-law Dave or my brother-in-law Steve would go with him. And my mom used to say, well, and by then he'd had a a heart attack. He'd had a heart attack. No, he hadn't had a heart attack. But by then he was getting older and my mom used to say, he's going to die on the mountain and at least he'll die happy. (laughs) Very funny. Yeah. So... So they'd been up there hunting all week. We don't know anything about it. Sometimes they call in. Sometimes they don't. But it's Christmas Eve. This is before cell phones. Right. It's Christmas Eve, and they are not there. And we're all gathered, you know, including the sisters whose whose husband is up there with my dad on the mountain. And we're waiting for them to come. And my mom a lot of times made fun of the elusive elk because sometimes my dad didn't get an elk. Oh, boy. And so she liked to make fun of it because she was very sarcastic. And as it gets closer and closer towards evening, everybody's getting antsy because, one, we want to open presents, and two, we're going to church later, and he's still not back, and there's dinner, you know, like, we're ready to eat dinner or whatever. And it is late, late afternoon, going towards dusk, when his old green, 76 green Ford pickup pulls down the driveway, pulling his camp trailer behind it, because they stayed up on the mountain. And... Um, with my brother-in-law, and they've got two elk. Two? So it's not like he can just drive down the driveway and come inside and we can just proceed with Christmas, because that's not how it works when you get an animal. So we have to hang them, we have to skin them, right? And then cover them, I think you cover them with like cheesecloth or something. And so, and it's a 
it's a group project. It's not something just my dad does. Yeah, you guys, <laughs> you guys helped out, right? Right. So we're all out there helping out, getting them hung up in the garage. My, then my dad's skinning them and blah blah blah. And then when they're done, they've got to go and shower, as do the rest of us, because we had to go inside and change clothes into something that was more like what we would call play clothes then, but work clothes. So then we are all go back inside to change clothes, and my dad and my brother-in-law need to take a shower. And my mom was furious, just furious. <laughs> like he was ruining Christmas Eve. And so everything happened later that year, obviously. But it still happened, right? It did, but she was furious because, and she was getting herself worked in, like, he's not going to be here on time and he's going to ruin Christmas Eve. And blah, blah, blah. she just, because she could get herself worked up into it to see pretty good. And uh, so, yeah, it was, he didn't ruin Christmas Eve. Well, he ruined Christmas Eve because my mom ruined Christmas Eve because all she did was complain, 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 complain. And the thing about it is, is like, lady, he's putting food on the table. <laughs> yeah, it's not as though he threw away the elk. It's not like he was out like, you know, gambling and he right. just wouldn't come home from the casino or something. Right. Right? <laughs> like he was, you know, he was doing like something serious, like legit, not like it wasn't even like he was having. They don't even drink when they go hunting. My dad's not a drink. wasn't a drinker anyway. So. Um, yeah, so he almost ruined Christmas Eve and then, but he got the elk and then my mom had to sort of like eat crow on that because hmm, he got an elk. He got two. Well, my brother-in-law. Oh, oh, so your brother-in-law got one yeah, and your dad got one. Yeah, he didn't have two licenses. One. They had oh. two because they each had a license, right? Yep. So that was the, uh. Did you go to, did you go to church at midnight? Uh, of course. We always went to church at midnight. Oh, wow. I don't know why. Cause now as an adult, I'm like, that is not even fun. No, it really stinks. But it, it really kept us does. in bed longer, I suppose, in the morning. Not that we were rushing out to get our Santa presents, because Santa didn't leave us presents under the tree. He just left us presents in our socks and er, in our Christmas stockings. And mostly it was like socks and underwear and lip balm and stuff like that. Right. Emery boards. I mean, seriously. It was it was it was stuff you needed, not stuff you wanted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we have some listener stories to tell you okay. about Christmas, and we'll trade off reading those. The first one, I think, is genius. So, you know that we don't do Elf on a Shelf in this house. We tell our kids no. that we expect them to be well-behaved all the time without any parent trickery, which is kind of funny because our kids, our son still believes in Santa Claus, so we do sort of do some trickery, but it's... Yeah, we do snoop on a stoop. It's the typical trickery, not the Elf on a Shelf moving right. around every day. He's spying on you. So our friend Taryn, you know Taryn from oh, Taryn, Arizona yeah. ALS, yeah. Um, wrote that... Um, she's been using her elf on the shelf to change stuff around and get rid of things. And so the other day she donated some things and her little one said, did the elf get rid of it? To which I replied, yes, he did. Just blame it on the elf. Oh, man. <laughs> but hey, if it works, mm -hmm. that's not bad. We ought to start getting an elf on the shelf, too. Well, you know, I saw a meme that said, you know what? If you put your elf on the refrigerator handles, nobody can touch it. You have to get takeout. I don't know if we do that. Yeah. I, I don't think we would do that very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's another story from uh, somebody that we, uh, right. that a listener? All right. You want me to read it? Yeah. Okay. This is from Andy. And he says, inspired by Calvin and Hobbes, who are, I mean, just two great ca character, the comic best. book characters. The best ever. Yeah. We regularly built dozens of tiny snowmen and placed them on the hoods of every car in the parking lot of our apartment complex. Angry people headed out to scrape and shovel so they could get to work, would sometimes smack them down in disgust, which made us rotten kids giggle with delight. One year visiting relatives in Chicago, 
I recruited some of my cousins and we built a giant rampaging snowman that was slaughtering a poor snow village. Again, complete with stolen from Calvin and Hobbes. We had snow body parts laying everywhere and used ketchup for blood. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's great. And your cousins are like in on it. And there's enough snow to do it. Like that's important. That's true too. Yeah. All right. So this one is from Kelly. When I was about five and my sister was two, We all had a Christmas Eve at my great-grandparents' house, and when it came time for bed, my sister and I just couldn't settle down enough to fall asleep, despite all the Santa won't come unless you're asleep warnings. So around 11 p.m.-ish, one of the adults went outside with some jingle bells while my grandpa took an old flashlight that had a red light end on it, and they walked past the window to the room where we were sleeping in. One of the adults in the house then told my sister and I, "Uh uh-oh, Santa's here, and if you're still awake... He's not staying and leaving presents. Apparently, that's all it took, and my sister and I were out in less than 10 minutes. Wow. That worked. Mm-hmm. Oh, she says 10 seconds. I said 10 minutes. 10 oh, seconds. 10 yep. seconds. Okay. Yep, yep. So, okay, the next one is kind of a long one. I'm going to let you read it. It's okay. All right, good. so. Okay. All right, so this is from Kelly. Mm-hmm. Kelly says... Kelly writes, it was 1968, and Apollo 8 was going to send three men to orbit the moon. And then, of course, we landed on the moon in 1969. It would be the first time astronauts would leave the safety of the Earth's gravitational pull and embark to see the moon up close. I was eight years old and just about getting too old for Santa, but I had a special request. I wanted a color television to see the moon on Christmas Eve. My parents took me to Christown Mall. Which is funny because the moon is black and white. But anyway, go ahead. Anyway. (laughs) And Christown Mall's no longer around. And I sat on Santa's lap. There was a microphone close by, but I wasn't going to make this particular present known. It was outlandish. Only one neighbor on our block had a a color television, and I used to go down to their house to watch the monkeys, the TV show. No, hey, it's the monkey. Right, people, people say, say we monkey, monkey around. around. Yeah, but we're too busy singing. Okay, go ahead. No, a Barbie was the limit. My parents would have fit would have had a fit if I asked for a television. So I leaned into the microphone and I said, "I would really like to have a Francie and Casey." But before I left, I whispered, "Could you please bring a color television set?" He said he would try. Afterward, my parents asked me what I wanted, and I repeated the Barbie doll requests. But on December 23rd, a color television was carried into our front door. You could have knocked me over. I stayed up late on Christmas Eve and watched Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and Bill Anders show their grainy, uh, grainy black, white, and moon passing by the window. They read from Genesis, then said, God bless all of you and the good earth. Then their broadcast stopped and the mission control said something like, they will go around the moon and if something works right, they will come back to Earth. If it didn't work right, they would never return. So we waited and waited. All of a sudden, Jim Lovell radioed back to Houston. Houston, please be advised there is a Santa Claus. He was letting us know they would be coming back home. But my eight-year-old brain said, what is Santa doing all the way out there? And she enclosed a photo of herself with Santa. The last time I would visit Santa. And she bought a shirt last year as a remembrance that has a picture of the moon on it and said, please, please be informed there is a Santa Claus. How cool is that? That is cool. Like, Thank you, Kelly. Right. Like you, they used that as a code because they knew kids would be watching, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. So that's very cool. Do we have another story? We do have another story. So this one is from Rachel. Um, her kids were getting older and starting to question Santa. The ki- her kids asked if Santa was coming because Amazon seemed to be bringing gifts, and one of them found me wrapping gifts. I told my kids that there's a worldwide population issues. The human population is growing, but not the elf population. <laughs> What? Let me dig the deepest hole I could find. Right, really. (laughs) Santa emailed all the parents asking them to help and wrap gifts because the workshop was too busy. This is also why Santa had to hire Amazon workers to help. Oh. Yeah. So that explains why Amazon exists to help out Santa Claus every year. I'm telling you, Rachel, you should have never started the idea of Santa wrapping presents. No, no. that no. In our house, that does not happen. No, it doesn't. He just leaves those gifts. There is no wrapping of those gifts. That's at all. right. <laughs> That's right. That way, you never use wrapping paper that the kids are like, "Hey, Santa has the same wrapping paper as Mom." That's right. See, you don't even have to deal with that if you don't wrap your presents. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so thanks to everybody for sharing their Christmas stories. We certainly appreciate it, and have a merry. Merry Christmas, well, what's your everybody. favorite one? Mine? No, because of the listener ones, because we send out cool swag to the best story. Oh, really? We're doing that? Yeah. I didn't know that. And I'll have to contact that person and get their address, but what's the? Okay. What's your favorite one? You, I'll let you be the uh, judge. I won't even weigh in see. on it. Who's did you like the best? I like the one about the moon. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that was, was Kelly, I think. That was one of the Kellys. That was, yep, Kelly. Kelly Ludlam. So I'll have to reach out and get Kelly's. Uh, address and oh, that's cool great. Cool swag. That's you guys could have got cool swag too. That's great. You can also get cool swag by signing up at patreon.com slash MacWatsonTalks. Yeah, that's true. Send cool swag out to our listeners all the time. That's true. Yeah, we do. So have a great Christmas, everybody, and have a happy new year. We will talk to you in 2023. Yeah, see you next year. for the SmackDown, and this time I'm smacking down former gubernatorial candidate Kerry Lake. A judge has dismissed Republican Kerry Lake's election challenge and affirmed Democrat Katie's Hobbs election as governor two days after a trial in which she said Lake failed to prove her case. Maricopa County Judge Peter Thompson, who oversaw the two-day trial, ruled Lake's legal team never offered clear and convincing evidence showing the election was rigged against her. Lake can appeal this case before Hobbs is expected to be sworn into office on January 2nd. Because of the tight timetable, the case may move swiftly to the Arizona Supreme Court. Thompson noted that real problems did affect the election, but election workers tried their best and performed their role, quote, with integrity, unquote. Not perfectly, Thompson continued, and no system on this earth is perfect, but more than sufficient to comply with the law and conduct a valid election. Election law and case histories have set a high bar for election challenges like Lake's. Courts must presume election results are valid, barring strong evidence to the contrary. Well, following attorneys' oral arguments on December 19th, Thompson ordered the two-day evidence trial to give Lake a chance to prove two of her claims. One, that a county employee interfered illegally with the printers in a way that caused her to lose votes. And two, that ballots were added to the county's total unlawfully. 
while his 10-page ruling dismantles Lake's witnesses and their arguments, denying in each case they presented, presented compelling evidence. Any request for sanctions in the case need to be made by December 26th in the morning, the ruling states. So Lake's campaign was steeped in Trump's world of election conspiracy theories and false claims. She urged voters to avoid using the mail or election drop boxes, casting unwarranted suspicion on such methods as Trump and his followers have done since 2020. On Election Day, November 8th, the county gave her the fodder needed for renewed claims of election fraud. Ballot on-demand printers at about a third of the 223 total voting sites had some kind of malfunction, causing voter counting machines to fail to read thousands of printed ballots. The problems created frustration and long lines of up to two hours at some polling sites. Maricopa County Board of Supervisor Chair Bill Gates, not the Microsoft billionaire, admitted the problems caused chaos, but officials insist that no voter was actually disenfranchised. Anyone experiencing problems could have voted in a different polling site, many of which had shorter lines, and voters could choose to leave their ballots in a secure container called Door 3, which would be taken to the county's election center and counted. Lake and her husband, video expert Jeff Halperin, attended both days of the trial with a small entourage of supporters. She criticized the Arizona Republic but refused to answer questions inside or outside of the courtroom. She was trailed by far-right media figures, including local Gateway Pundit reporter Jordan Conradson, who sat in the courtroom benches on Mike Lindell pillows. Mm. Well, too bad for her. And we knew this is the way it was going to wind up, right? But she should have known this going in. There was not election fraud. There were some mistakes, but not enough to disenfranchise voters. That's what we heard in 2020 as well. But for some reason, these people still think the election was a fraud. It's not. And that is the SmackDown. Are you a patron on Patreon? Are you getting a bonus episode of Mac Watson Talks every week? If not, you are missing all the stories of what's going on with the Watsons and crazy stories about our childhood. What are you missing? Well, here's just a snippet. I remember this in spurts and phrases because I was three. So I don't remember like a timeline. I just remember being absolutely miserable up near Stowe, Vermont. Now, what the hell were we doing near Stowe, Vermont? You were at a cabin with your aunt and uncle. No. Oh. No. That's in New Hampshire. Oh, okay. My mom and dad decided to visit the Von Trapp family. Oh, yeah. They have an inn up there. They have an inn up there in Vermont. Yeah, yeah. It's like a snow yeah. inn or something or lodge. Yeah, right. It's like a lodge. Yeah. Right. It's called the Dew Drop Inn. No, it's not. It's called, it's called the Von Trapp. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Want to hear the rest? Go to patreon.com slash MacWatsonTalks. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. And sign up today for as little as $5 a month. You get four bonus episodes, a episode every week of us talking about ourselves. What could be better? That's patreon.com slash MacWatsonTalks. Time for the last word. Well, there's a mom who's a true crime junkie, and she revealed that she's made a folder for herself that in case she goes missing, 
Here's a list of my exes, as well as a lock of my hair. Now, a mom of three has caused a stir among TikTok viewers after posting a string of videos revealing the contents of her In Case I Go Missing folder. Self-confessed true crime junkie Jennifer McAllister Nevins from New York details five things she has in a folder in case she can't be found. The kit includes a hair sample for DNA testing, the names of her friends and exes in case they're needed for questioning, fresh fingerprints, a handwriting sample for analysis, and medical records for forensic evidence and in case of any health needs. So far, the clip has been viewed more than 7 million times with many viewers branding her homemade forensic file a bad idea. Make sure you put this somewhere safe or it will become how to make you go missing binder, one person commented. Another TikTok user wrote, okay, but what if you get robbed and then steal the binder? That's a lot of important info in one place. In a follow-up post, McAllister Nevins adds five more things to her binder, including an extra set of keys, passwords, and alarm codes, official documents, upcoming travel plans so that people know where she's planning to be, and finally, a flash drive with copies of all her information stored on it. I don't know if this woman is paranoid or smarter than the rest of us, but man, she's got everything down, doesn't she? Until next year! Thank you for listening to Mac Watson Talks. This episode is copyrighted and may not be reproduced in whole or part without express written permission. For more information to become a sponsor or to schedule an upcoming appearance by Mac or Cricket or both, visit MacWatsonOnline.com. That's MacWatsonOnline.com. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, share us with your friends. We love new listeners.